I would like to make a few comments. I don't have to tell you things are bad. Everybody knows things are bad. We see Americans hating each other, fighting each other, killing each other at home. There is a religious war going on in this country. It is a cultural war. This war is for the soul of America. Because of the way this society is organized, you have to expect that there are going to be such explosions. Our side, our side, our side. We are a people in a quandary about the present. We are a people in search of our future. And as we see and hear these things, millions of Americans cry out in anguish. Did we come all this way for this? It all seems a long way from a time when politics was a national passion and sometimes even fun. a larger scale to fulfill the promise of America. We are met here as Americans, not as Democrats or Republicans, to solve that problem. Welcome to the Pothole Problem Podcast. I'm your host, Jack Miller. This week's guest is Candlin Johnson. She came to me through a previous guest on this show, Rebecca Tweed. Rebecca is currently the campaign manager for an organization called People Not Politicians, who is running a campaign to get a ballot measure to create an independent redistricting commission for Oregon. Candlin is the deputy campaign manager, and she also happens to be the campaign coordinator for the League of Women Voters of Oregon, which is one of the organizations sponsoring this ballot measure. Candlin has a lot of good stuff to say about her personal journey into and through politics, and it's a relatively long interview, so instead of saying more, I'm just going to get right into it. Welcome to the show, Candlin. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. How would you characterize your role in the political world? It's very new. I graduated from OSU in 2017, so I've only been out of college for a few years now. And even when I graduated, I didn't really know what my role in politics was, because when I was at OSU... I thought I wanted to be a lobbyist or run for office or work as a staffer. And then I interned with the Oregon Students Association as a lobbyist and I hated it. So I got done with political science and I said, you know, I don't really fit into partisan politics. I don't identify with either party. I I mean, I tell people I felt like I had to pretend to be someone I wasn't to be able to get anywhere. And I also am not a city gal. When I first graduated, all of the jobs were in Portland. And I didn't have an ability to get to Portland. I didn't want to live in Portland. It was going to be very stressful for me. And so I almost said, well, I guess politics isn't for me because all of the jobs are in Portland. Nobody cares about the fact that I don't want to live in a city. So I guess I'm not going to apply for jobs in Portland. And I was having a really hard time and that's why I ended up doing a year in AmeriCorps because I just needed some time after college to figure out what I wanted to do next. And after I got done serving in AmeriCorps, I found the league. They had this position open and I originally actually applied just to be like a office specialist. They looked at, my, looked at me and they said, we would like you to run our redistricting campaign. And I said, okay, that sounds fun. Let's do it. Uh, Because I've always been more passionate about issues and less about parties uh, and party interests because I find that issues connect people from all spectrums of parties. 
And so redistricting I loved because it was a multipartisan issue. And I'm really passionate about issues and nonprofit work and things that actually make me feel like I'm in the community. And when I was getting really involved in politics and I was a, I was on the board of directors for the Oregon Students Association and I was in the Capitol lobbying for students, I actually started to feel less connected with the community. And it may be because I'm still fairly young and building my own community connections and and community connections. And so I felt kind of isolated. And I said, you know, I need to take a step back and get involved in the community. I need to be in the ground. I need to to be there um, and build my connections, build my community before I go back to conventional politics. So I can see why you would have not found it compelling to be a lobbyist if you're more issue-oriented than uh, Mm -hmm. partisan-oriented. What started you, what activated you as a young person to think of politics as a place that you wanted to be? I grew up very, very poor. I grew up in a very small town, rural town. Um, My family is still very, very poor, and I'm the oldest of all of uh, the kids. I was taught very quickly from a young age that if I wanted to get out, I needed to find community. I needed to be involved. I needed to get involved in community service. I needed to ask for things. I needed to do things. And I needed to convince people that I was worth it. And so I got involved in community service at a very young age, uh, starting in high school, and knew that I loved politics. I loved community service. And I viewed getting involved in politics as a way to serve the community. And that was my, I guess, philosophical view of politics when I first started as a freshman in college was that I loved politics because I loved the idea of serving the community. I loved the idea of working on issues that impact people, improving people's lives, and being there for others. I guess that's why when I went through and I really started getting involved in it, I needed that community connection because community service is what got me in it to begin with. So what was it about lobbying and other types of political activity that made you feel like you weren't serving the community? It was the partisan politics of it, especially after 2016. It was really, really hard not identifying with a party because if you don't identify as a Democrat or you don't identify as a Republican and they're just down each other's throats. And I just, uh, a lot of the opportunities, I think the connections I made were all really, really strong Democrats. And when they found out that I wasn't registered Democrat, that I wasn't, I didn't have all of their ideals, that I wasn't sure about some of the things. And I think one of the parts of politics that fascinates me is I almost think there's never a right answer. Everyone has something that's right. Even if I don't really agree with their end, their end opinion, there's something in it that made that opinion that I understand. And so I got so deep in like the philosophical question of, I just lost myself and I I started to think, well, what do I even believe? I don't think like they do because I'm not 100% sure that is the right way to go. I was lobbying for things and then I was like, but do I actually believe this? Or is this just how I'm making connections? I didn't want to confuse the two. I didn't want to do something just because I felt like I had to do it to keep my connections. I wanted to do it because I believed in it and I believed it was truly going to help students because I was lobbying for students at the time. And I started to lose that. And I I wasn't sure if what I was doing was actually helping students or what I was doing was making a difference or even if I believed in it. And so I decided I'd take a step back and, and really develop and hone down what are the things that I'm really passionate about and what are the things that I really want to advocate for. If I'm making connections 
they need to be connections that I feel are, are for me or part of my community that I can be a part of. And if I'm feeling like I have to pretend to be someone I'm not in order to keep that connection, then maybe that's not the right connection for me. So you didn't feel comfortable saying I'm a Democrat or I'm a Republican, and that was challenging to be politically active in lobbying. Did you find that a lot of other people who you knew who were politically active had a similar problem that you did, or or did you see a high level of comfort with adopting a party label and a party brand? I think that the people who are uncomfortable with adopting a party label are the ones that are uncomfortable being in politics right now. A lot of people that I talk to who don't vote, who haven't voted, who feel that politics isn't for them or that politics is too, or, you know, there's always this, oh, I don't get involved in politics. I don't, I don't do politics. And I always tell them, well, you can't not do politics. Politics does you if you don't do politics. So hone in on what your interests are. And I actually, I'm really proud of this. I convinced my partner who hadn't voted in like 10 years to vote for the first time just this last election. And I sat him down and I said, what do you care about? You own a house now. Do you care about taxes? Do you care about reproductive rights? What are some things that you're really passionate about? And then I had him connect that with the candidates, not the party, not what was going on, because that's how I connect. And it worked for him too, because he also doesn't really identify with a party. And I said, well, if you don't want to be Democrat, you don't want to be Republican, and you feel politics is too complicated, then narrow it down. Find the issue you understand and find people who also understand that and vote for them. I really like that. If you don't do politics, politics does you. Yeah. And that is a hard thing to actually convey to people. And it seems like that's part of what you're doing right now is you're trying to do that kind of outreach to convince people. You don't have to have a ready-made party label or brand or identity. You can be as uncomfortable in the party as I am. That doesn't mean that you have to opt out. Right. And I'm very honest with people. I'm very honest, honestly, a little too honest sometimes. People are like, whoa, Candlin, too much information, too honest. But I'm very honest with people about how I feel about politics. And, you know, I say, you know what, if you don't want to vote for the president because you feel your vote for president doesn't matter, that's fine. I kind of agree with you. In Oregon, it doesn't. We know the Democrats are going to win in Oregon for the presidency. So, okay, let's talk about your impact for the governor or your impact for the Secretary of State run. Your vote really does make a difference for local elections, and so I try to find a way to connect that with people and try to make politics seem less scary by connecting it with an issue that they understand and that they care about and realizing that everything is politics. This is, seems like a good time to ask the question I ask all my guests, which is, what is something that used to outrage you and no longer does? And most importantly, why do you think that changed? It took me a long time to answer this question. I started asking everyone. I have three jobs, I have lots of hats, and I went around asking everyone this question. I was like, I was asked this question, and it's so hard, and I'm, I just, every answer I've thought of doesn't seem right, because I'm still angry about a lot of things. And one of the common responses I got from lots of my co- coworkers, and honestly, a lot of them were a few decades older than me, were, you know, Candlin, you need to not be angry about everything. You're going to get burnt out. You don't need to argue with everyone because I get in arguments with everyone. You don't need to be angry about everything. You're going to get just burnt out. You're going to get tired. What I saw was that they were tired and that they were burnt out and that they decided that it wasn't worth getting angry, which I think is a mature decision, but also a sign that they were burnt out by all the things that were going on and they just kind of gave up on 
moving forward with it because they couldn't emotionally deal with what was going on. Politics can be extremely draining. It's very draining. It's very draining. I have lots of friends who are super burnt out, who are super drained. They become very jaded and they kind of lose connection with why they even did it in the first place. And I saw that happening to me and I got scared and I booked it. So what I finally decided on was uh, identity politics. I grew up in a small town, and when I first heard the words white privilege, I was extremely mad and irritated. I said, how dare you call me privileged? Do you know anything about the way I grew up? I had to fight for every single resource that I have. I'm not privileged. It took me a while to realize that they weren't saying that I didn't have struggles, that I didn't have issues that I didn't have my own types of oppression. What they were saying is that none of that oppression was because I'm white. That finally clicked because I feel like identity politics and just exploring your identity as a young adult, you just kind of get this light bulb, you get this click in your head and you just understand that, oh, okay, that's just one part of me. And they're telling me that not only do I need to think of that part, but how all of the other parts influence my life experience and the way I impact others and the way that others impact me and my work. Everything about my identity is intersectional and it impacts my perspectives and my view on the light on my life. Now I don't get mad anymore and I have a completely different opinion. You don't get mad when someone says you have white privilege. No, I don't. Or you don't get mad in general about the notion of identity politics. Exactly. Both of those. Yeah, because at first I was very defensive, and I find that happens a lot with white folks who grew up in a very conservative uh, rural town, is they say, I'm not privileged, you don't know anything about me. It took me a lot of self-awareness, a lot of exploring, a lot of very deep personal identity exploration to understand and accept privilege for what it is. And now when someone says, hey, you need to examine your white privilege, I say, you're, you're totally right. I didn't see the context. Thank you so much for calling me out. And I, I move forward and I'm okay with being called out. And I know that as a white person that I still need to every day evaluate my biases and I need to evaluate my perspective. How am I making this decision or how am I viewing this person automatically because of my life experiences? I grew up in a town that maybe had three people of color, right? I'm going to have biases without even trying to, without even meaning to, because we just, we have bias. And just because you have a bias doesn't make you a bad person. That's what I tell people. I say, everyone has bias. It doesn't make you a bad person. It makes you a human to have bias. What makes you a bad person is when you pretend that they don't exist and you don't try to make yourself better. You're listening to the Pothole Problem Podcast, created by White Tiger Productions. At White Tiger Productions, we create experiences. If you have an idea for a podcast, a workshop, or a show of any kind, we'll help you go from concept to execution. We provide creative direction and production support. We've got a podcast studio, writers and storytellers, sound engineers and editors, designers, videographers, hosts, creative coaches, everything you need to manifest your creative potential. You name it or even vaguely describe it, and we'll take you from dream to finished product. White Tiger Productions. You can do what you think, and we can help you. 
visit us at youcandowhatyouthink.com and tell us what you're thinking about. It sounds like to get over this outrage at being called out for your biases, you did a lot of introspection and reflection and self-growth. What got you to undertake that process? Because that process clearly got you to the place you are now, but what started that process and what sustained you in that process? So when I first joined the Oregon Students Association, they actually have three boards. Uh, One is the board of directors, which is usually folks in the student government in the legislative affairs, um, student body presidents, those kinds of things, which I served in both roles throughout my college career. And then there's the people of color board, and then there's the equal rights board. That's not the name of it, but it's like the LGBTQ plus board. They would have closed caucus spaces and all of these wonderful opportunities for folks to be able to come together with like-minded identities and talk about the issues they face as Oregonians. And I still didn't understand. I said, I want to learn. I want to open my perspectives. I don't understand why you're saying because I'm white, I can't be in this space. And I got defensive again because I was trying to explore. I was trying to listen and they wouldn't let me. And I didn't really understand it at all until I went to a low income caucus space. And there was a person in there who started talking. And the first thing they said was, I'm not low income, but I totally understand what you're going through and just started taking up the space. And I was outraged. I was like, get out of here. Who are you? Leave. And I finally clicked and it clicked like, okay, that's how everyone else feels when a white person in the room is like, I just want to learn and I just want to listen. And they're like, well, I just want a space where there's not a white person telling me I need to educate them. So that started you down the path. You realized, okay, I have to really start digging into myself and what my biases are. Exactly. Because I realized that I really wasn't looking at other people's perspectives. I wasn't thinking about their life experiences and their need to be with like-minded folks during some times, that not every person needs to educate you, that you need to educate yourself, it's your responsibility to do so. It was silly to me that I had to go through a year-long process of discovering that when I am extremely passionate about self-education and I had to go find my own resources. But then all of a sudden I expected people of color to go find those resources for me. Right? It was just kind of a flip and I realized this isn't who I am. This isn't who I should expect other people to be. Why am I suddenly changing my own philosophy just because I'm uncomfortable? That's a really great exploration and I, I want to move now to sort of the flip side is what is something or some things that still outrage you or that outrage you anew or freshly? Because mm-hmm. it sounds like you have a lot of passion about your work and about issues. What are some of the outrages that you have right now that you're not over? I think one of the big ones that I thought of was just the lack of empathy in politics. I have two sides of this. I always have two sides, which is why it's so hard for me. I understand that sometimes some people, especially with how politics can be so deeply personal, they can't just sit and calmly have a quote-unquote political debate and deal with the devil's advocate when it's so deeply personal to them. And people, I think, don't have empathy and understand that about politics. They don't understand that for a lot of people, especially people who are disenfranchised, people who are dealing with a lot of different struggles and a lot of just stuff that's going on, that politics is very personal and they can't just sit calmly and debate with you and educate you on their all of the struggles they're facing and they they shouldn't have to. So the lack of empathy prevents people from having political discussions that are at the same time personal and productive. 
Right. The reason why I say on the flip side is what really bothers me is there's lack of empathy on both sides. I see people blaming someone who is getting very emotional. They're at the point of screaming because they can't objectively talk about something that they're personally impacted by. The person starts blaming them for not being able to have a conversation with them and call, say that they just are out of line. And then there's the other side where people just close their mind and they don't want to even hear that person's story when they are able to be vulnerable and open up. And so people who are sharing their stories, who are opening up, just cutting open a wound and spilling it out for people to hear, and they're just shut off. It hurts me to see that. It hurts me to see that when someone does decide, I'm gonna be vulnerable, I'm going to share my personal experiences and how that impacts my view of politics and someone says, that's not the way I lived, I don't think that exists. So what do you think is a way forward to spread more empathy into the political world and I mean, just into the world of regular human beings who are impacted by politics? What can get more empathy into the discourse? I think part of the reason why we start to lose empathy is when we start to lose ourselves a little bit. Um, I see a lot of people when they get really burnt out and you start to see some of those signs as a lack of empathy. You see people starting to not be able to have time or the emotional energy to deal with other people's emotional energy. And so there's that. If you start to see yourself not being able to be understanding, to not be able to sit there and control your biases and think about other people's perspectives, that's a pretty good sign that you're burnt out yourself. So I think self-care in politics is very, very important. And the only way we can have self-care is by having self-awareness having the ability to be aware of yourself, aware of your emotional energy, and be aware of where you are is very, very important in politics and in life. Because I think when we lose empathy, it's because we are losing ourselves and we're not taking care of ourselves. So you mentioned earlier the burnout problem and the people that you know who've been in politics for a long time seem to you to be burned out and that sounds like it results in a loss of empathy. You're a relatively young person what is your plan to have a sustainable presence in the political world and to take care of yourself so that you can have the empathy that you've identified as an important component of the healthy political discourse? What are you going to do? Yeah, and that's the part that's really hard because for anyone who knows me, they kind of see me as someone who can't make up their mind as to what they want to do because part of me loves politics and never wants to leave. But the other part of me finds it to be an unsustainable lifestyle for who I am. When I was looking at internships and those kinds of things, we're just now starting to have conversations like, oh, people getting internships in DC should probably get paid. I was being offered, I think, 3,000 for six months as a scholarship. How is a low-income person with no family support supposed to be able to afford moving to DC and working for free, nine to five, and having no political connections there? There's that. And I have to work for a living. I've, I've got to take care of myself. I have to feel like I have a job and I have income coming in. And the fact that a lot of politics is very, very uh, short term, and then you have to keep applying for jobs over and over again. And the fact that all of the jobs are in cities has been very, very draining for me. 
Um, and so that's why I almost gave up on politics until I found this campaign and I'm able to stay in my rural city area and still be involved. But I have a job at a nonprofit and they're offering me a full-time job with benefits at the end of June. I can't say no to that. And is that a politically oriented nonprofit? It's not. It's not. It's, it's, a, it's a, an animal shelter where I get to run community-based programs and be out in the community doing co- preventative community education. Part of me loves that and still feels that it's not necessarily not politics, right? When you're out there doing that preventative education, preventing crisis and and helping people and providing services for folks. And I realized that maybe I was never really interested in just implementing policy, but also with just the government services side of things, being the person who's implementing programs that actually help people and going more the bureaucracy side. And when I first told my dad that, he's like, oh, so you're going to be a part of the problem, not a part of the solution. Well, it sounds like what you're saying is that the official political world, what people would identify as politics with a capital P, is not the only way to do politics, and that community service can come in a number of different forms. And you're finding your place. Do you think that official capital P politics is probably going to wash you out pretty quickly into one of these other endeavors? My main goal is to keep building connections in in my community, feel a part of the community. And I think that I will get more involved in conventional politics once I have that support behind me. As of right now, it's very, very difficult to do conventional politics without a lot of network and support. And I don't have that right now because I'm still very young and I'm still building that from scratch. So, you know, people ask me, oh, are you going to run for office? Are you going to are you going to do other things? And I say, maybe I'm not saying no, I'm not ready right now. I don't have the support. I don't have the people behind me to do that. And I can't do it by myself. You know, that's why not only do I have three jobs, but I also volunteer my time for a crisis line. And I'm trying my best to to really feel integrated into a community before I even consider being a representative for them. I like that, getting integrated into the community instead of official conventional politics being an either-or thing. I either am or I'm not in it. Mm-hmm. You're introducing a perspective that says, well, you can increasingly integrate yourself with the community and that will either create opportunities to run for office or to help run a campaign or not, but that you're doing good for the community. You're Either actually way. changing people's lives, listening to them, being involved in these debates about issues. Mm-hmm. That you don't have to go into capital P politics to do politics in a way that benefits your spirit. And what I usually find is politics finds you because you can't escape politics. And so even if I'm not in capital P politics, I still am. Opportunities have a way of presenting themselves. And I would feel better taking on those opportunities when people feel that I'm with them, that I've been there, that I've been involved, that I've heard people's stories. And I want to do that before I run for anything, before I consider myself to be a representative for anyone. That's a great perspective, and I want to thank you for coming in and talking to me. This has been a fascinating interview. Yeah, thank you. That's this week's interview. I want to thank Kendallin Johnson for speaking to me. She actually also guest lectured to one of my politics classes the morning that she gave me that interview. So I want to thank her for that as well. I, of course, want to thank everybody who's been listening along with the podcast. And for those of you who decided to donate after my plea of last week, thank you very much. 
If anyone out there is considering whether or not to make a financial contribution or to try to hook me up with a sponsor, you can go to our website, potholeproblempodcast.com backslash join, or you can send me an email, jack.miller at pdx.edu. Reach out to me any way you can. I'm happy to get connections to people who could potentially partner with me to expand our listenership or to get financial support for continued production. For next week's episode, we're going to stay behind the scenes. I have John Horvick, who is a pollster. He'll be talking about the challenges of accurate polling and the challenges of being in the polling industry in a time when polls don't necessarily have the best image and the best reputation. So that's next week. Until then, of course, I have a song. This is an unnamed song by a friend of mine whose only name you will hear is Johnny. Johnny played this song here in the White Tiger Lounge about a year ago, and I'm bringing it to you now to end this episode. Thanks for listening. When I'm finally over with my life Dream the last dream of my nights Settle down for once and tag along When I'm finally over with my song When the prices drop and I come home Set the clock according to time zone And I'm finally over with my song And fear, fear Nothing, nothing Fine.